You know, when we sing these words, God have your own way, uh, they require modification. This morning, I went into our son's room. It looked like someone had thrown a hand grenade in, as boys' rooms get from time to time. And I said, today's the day. We've got to clean this thing up. It, it's, starting to, it's starting to get out there, man. There's no rug space left to, to walk on. Ah, oh, Dad, come on, not today. It's the weekend. I'm like, well, it's today. So you clean it or we bag it. You take a choice. Okay, Dad, we'll do it your way. Modification change required. As adults, we would say the same thing to God. We sing every week. We pray every week. God, modify us. We want your way, not our way. As Jesus said, your will, not our will be done. But I will remind us that that does cause for us a leaning forward to say, God, I'm willing to be open to modification. I think it's one of the reasons that we, we come together. For those of you that have followed Christ and walked with Christ for years, you may say, golly, I, I again? Modification again? And God would say, oh, yeah. See, if I were finished with you, you'd be dead. Uh, and since you're not, we're going to keep chiseling away. Because, see, I'm not done with you. That's good news. I think in this culture, in the American culture, I've heard people talk poorly about the media and say, well, the media is, you know, uh, they're attacking the church, and, and maybe they are. Maybe they certainly don't speak favorably. I, I rarely see a news clip where it's like, wow, that was a good representation of who we want to be. But I would say to us, propose to us, that they're not our greatest enemy. Some would say, gosh, these organizations who want to take prayer from schools and take down the Ten Commandments from being publicly displayed and, and on and on, man, they're, they're an enemy to the church. I would say, well, they're not our, our greatest enemy. And I would propose then that perhaps that our, our greatest enemy, ready for the surprise, ourselves. For some reason, I've... I've in the last couple of years, been intrigued with the Civil War. I, I think I was asleep during history class in, in high school and like, oh, there's a Civil War? I'm just kidding. But you know, I, I'm more interested in these battles, the severity of what took place on American soil. 620,000 lives lost. May I say that again? 620,000 lives lost lost. Combine the American-Mexican War, combine North uh, or uh, Korean War, Vietnam War, World War I, World War II, you combine all those and more Americans were lost in the Civil War than all those combined. A civil war amongst ourselves. More surprising than that of the 620,000 soldiers and those associated with the war that died, 400,000, roughly two-thirds of them died, not from a bullet wound or a bayonet, but from disease, from starvation, from conditions of severity. You see, 
armies can die from the inside rather than outside forces. See, in the Civil War, um, men were away from their wives. And in those moments, there were those that knew that and took advantage of it. And, for example, prostitutes skyrocketed during the Civil War, and bands of prostitutes would follow the soldiers as they fought. Just the Union soldiers, the Northern soldiers, 200,000 reported with venereal disease. Syphilis was rampant. Because of the severity of the, of the war, the use of alcohol and even drugs was, was out of the roof. In fact, one soldier wrote this report. He says this, We have lost more valuable lives at the hands of whiskey sellers than by the bullets of our enemies. I mean, we read that, we see that, we, we, we study that, and we think, how can that be? Soldiers that were trained to march armed soldier to, so, shoulder to shoulder, and yet they lost from the inside. We're in this collection of conversations called Billity. And these Billities, we're talking about, I believe, if we have them, we have a chance to win the war that God has put us in. The war for souls. The war for hearts. The war for those who were created to know God, and yet somehow they don't yet. The war not only to win souls, but to, to disciple believers, to build relationships deep so that life transformation happens. And this thing we call the Christian faith is not just about making sure that you're not going to hell, but you're going to heaven. But we're chiseled into the image of God. And we create a culture in such a way that we become more like Christ every day. That's why it's when we say, have your own way, it requires modification. And without these abilities, I would tell you that we'll die from the inside out. We don't need an enemy. If we don't learn durability and we get ticked off and leave every time somebody just crosses us the wrong way, we'll never win. We'll lose for sure. Coming from so many different church and faith backgrounds, we have so many different ways of doing things. We talked about that one week. And no one way is perfect and right, etc. One, one, remember we talked about the NFL, that you got a West Coast offense and you got a run and shoot offense and, and different kinds of offense. I can't even remember them now, but it, all of them are cool offenses. But when you join a team, you go, okay, this is the offense that we're going to do. And if a church, a local church, this local church, and the local church down the street, and the one down the street, if we can't in this room and on this team learn sinkability and say, here's the plan. I know you got a great plan. No, it works down the street and blah, blah, blah. But this is the plan and sink to that plan. We will certainly lose the battle. If we have players on the team that have no edit ability, no ability to be open to say, man, you ran that play and it could have been done this way without being afraid that people will walk off the team. If we don't have editability, we will lose. So take, about, take all the abilities that we've talked about. Editability, durability, sinkability, eligibility, susceptibility, name them all. 
none of them will be worth anything without the ability that we talk about today, and that ability is availability. You see, you may be a a fantastic player, and you may know all the plays, and at practice, you may be in sync with everybody. But if you don't show up to the game, it means nothing, as you can imagine. You may have, you may have the toughest skin of any player. Maybe somebody can just uh, dress you right down, and you're like, I can take that, man. I'm at, but if you don't show up, if you're not available, it means nothing. Today, we talk about the power of availability or the power of unavailability. Now, before we go further, let me define what I mean by availability because I think it's important. Some may think, oh, I got, I got what you're saying. You mean we need to be available for Christ at any given moment to, to speak for him, to live for him. That's, that's a great concept. And it's a true concept. We're not talking about that particular concept today. Some of you may say, oh, you mean I need just to be available for a phone call like the, you know, the reserves and whenever you call. That's a great concept. That's a true concept. It's not the concept I'm speaking about. I need to be available when people, a person is in need so that I may be able to take care of that need. It's a great concept, a true concept. It's not the concept I'm speaking of today. Let me tell you what the concept is. Just so if we don't define it, everybody will define it for themselves, right? Some of you may have already defined it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Let me, let me break it down for you before we start. I believe that there is a principle in the scriptures of first. You see, God said when he laid out the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, I'm first. I'm first in everything. I believe there's a principle, for example, in our giving. When we give, I don't even consider when I give to God, I'm giving to God. I'm giving back to God. Everything I own, I really don't. Everything that I happen to manage is his anyway, so I'm just giving it back to him. So when, when we talk about tithing and 10% of our income, people are like, well, the cool part is you get to keep 90% of what's not yours. That's, the, that's cool. But God said, don't wait until you spend it all and you got $3.77 and say, well, that's God's. No, the principle that's all through the scripture is give it to me first because then I'll know tangibly you love me first and you're putting me first. Now, I know I've already offended half the room, but that's, that's my job as I've said it. I believe in the principle of the community of faith that we call the local church. Now, is it okay to do out things outside the local church? Of course, Bible studies, worship services, all those things, they're great. Please hear me say, I like them, I support them. But there is a principle of first in the Scripture, in the New Testament, to, to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to Timothy, to Titus, the community of John. The principle is we start in the local church, we now I wish someone else were saying that. This is like the manager of Panera saying, you got to try the turkey club because you expect the manager to say stuff like that. So I know I'm pastor. And I'm like, hey, you got you to gotta, you know, be part of your local church because I'm a pastor of a local church. If I were not a pastor of a local church, I would say, you got to start with your local church. It's not a commercial. It's a principle. 
It's a principle of saying, if I'm, not, if I'm over here and doing all these things, but I'm not available here in my local church, something is off and there's a principle being broken that I believe is a New Testament principle. I have a strong perspective from the scripture that I see it over and over and over and over. You may have a different perspective that I, I would respect that. But I do believe that when I speak to people and I'm saying, what do you, what's happening in your life? I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And let's say they're not even coming to this church. I will always ask, well, tell me about your life in your own local church. Well, dude, I, I'm so busy, I can't do... Oh, that's no different than me saying, oh, I'm, I'm helping Jane down the street and I'm helping um, uh, Bob down the street and I'm helping uh, Stan over there and across the city, I'm doing this. Well, what are you doing for your own wife? Oh, I ain't got time to do anything for my wife. Wouldn't you find that odd? You see, God calls us to a family first. Does it mean we can't do that stuff? Of course not. But there's something, a plan, a strategy that I think I know a little bit about. But there, with God, there's always like, oh, man, there's hidden designs that when we're a local church and we're, we're integrated in here, there's something unique that happens. Accountability, relationships, growth, discipleship. It's not going to happen out there in a complete way. So hope that makes sense when we're talking about availability. When I'm looking at availability, this is what I'm referring to today. So at least we're on the same page. Now, Jesus came up to people and he said, look, I'm asking you to be available. And here's, the, here's how some people answered. In, John, in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, well, Lord, don't miss the next word. First, before I do that, i got to put something ahead of that. First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, if I said that to any of you, you know I'd be in hot water. Would I not? <laughs> hey, man, i got to go to my dad's funeral. Let the dead bury their dead. Dude, let's go, right? I mean, whoa, it's intense. Feel the intensity. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. Don't miss the next two words. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, my mom's sitting right here. If I left with Jesus for three and a half years and didn't say bye, I'd be in big trouble, let me tell you. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Don't miss this. These were great reasons. These were not lame reasons. These people weren't saying, hey, I'm unavailable because I got tickets to the ball game this afternoon. I mean, Jesus would say, come on, dude, really? Hey, I'm right in the middle of building a model plane, air, uh, model airplane, and I, dude, you're asking me to follow Jesus. No, this was, I got to go bury my father. I got to go, at least I'm going to hit the road with you, and I'm going to be a roadie for three years, three and a half years. Can I at least go say goodbye? It's a good reason any of us would say it. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm trying to teach you something. I come first. I am first. So when I, I, I look at this, my crazy mind thinks, I wonder if there were soundtracks. You feel it coming, don't you? I wonder if there were soundtracks when Jesus said, 
hey, I'm asking you to follow me. You remember the, in, in the end of the Sound of mu- uh, Music movie, everybody's probably seen that, you know, the Van Tropp family, um, and they're at the end, they're escaping, and then the guy who's the MC for the final concert, you know, he calls on them, and you kind of wonder, you, you, I'm going to show you the clip, you picture Jesus calling out to the Van Tropp family, calling you, and just, there's that spotlight, you know, like Jesus is waiting, and then they're not there, they're unavailable, they got a first thing happening. Watch. The highest honor in all Austria to the Von Trapp family singers. Here we go. Are you available? The family Von Trapp. just kind of wonder if when Jesus said, hey, can you follow me? And then they're, you know, they're not there. Then you hear this music. They're gone. Dun, 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 dun. Probably not, but maybe. You sense this direct spotlight on these people. Like, hey, come follow me. And then all of a sudden you just, they're not there. And every single one of them used the word first. I find that interesting. You see, we would say that they were occupied. Or since they were occupied first, can I use the word preoccupied? And so I looked up the definition of preoccupied. Here's what I found. Excessively occupied with something and therefore unavailable for further use. Now, when you think about occupation, let's say, for example, America became occupied by another country, God forbid. Suddenly, our availability and mobility would be shut down. You see, because occupation is a form of enslaving people, limiting people many times. And I would, suppo- I would promote to you, I'm going to go through a short list of reasons why we would say, I'm not available to become part of the local, my family, my church family, my community of faith. And and all of these lists, I'm going to try to breeze through this list to get to where we're landing today. But I have this list because I think if you're like me, you need things defined. And these guys said, well, I got to go to a funeral or, you know, I got to go say goodbye. But we have some very real reasons. And my guess is that one of these is going to strike a chord, or maybe more than one of these is going to strike a chord. If you've said, you know, I've kind of, I'm kind of unavailable right now. I can't go deeper. My guess is that some of these will strike a chord. And what I want to say to you is this, that each of these items on our list can be enslaving. They can occupy us. They can cuff us, link us, tie us up, If you like a nicer word than enslave, but they can enslave us because the scripture talks a lot about being enslaved. Let me start with the first one. We'll start easily. I believe that we can be enslaved financially. Now, I'm not sure there's any of these that I haven't experienced myself. 
The Bible says this in Proverbs 22, verse 7. The borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, in this generation, all of these that, that I'm going to say have been born out of conversations. I can't get involved. I'm unavailable because I'm working so much. And I, I've got a job and I've got a second job. And certainly, for, for some of you, I understand just to make ends meet. But for many of us, it's hard. We work so hard that, to the point that we're enslaved because we're, and to the point we're unavailable because we can't make ends meet because our ends are so far away. See, I grew up in the 60s where my parents bought their home for $10,000. And I remember them ripping out every single piece of drywall in that house because it was a fixer-upper because that's what they could afford. They, they taught us a layaway mentality. We brought in a credit mentality. And so many people are enslaved. Let me be more definite than that. So many Christians are enslaved. Let me be more definite than that. So many churches are enslaved by finance and credit and debt. It breaks my heart because they've, been, they've become unavailable for what God calls them to do. For years, I was enslaved financially, making more money than I'd ever made in my life years ago. Never been more enslaved. Took years to dig out. But I dug out because I became unavailable. Between my wife and I, we had six jobs. Doing nothing in our local church. And yet doing a lot around the city. I think we can be enslaved by previous experiences. I've had so many people say, dude, I, I am not going to get in that group. I'm not going to get in a Bible study. I'm not going to do this. I, I can't get closer because I got burned. When did you get burned? Oh, dude, it was recent. It was, it was 1979, man. I'm like, come on. Here's my guarantee. I, I guarantee this for you because I don't guarantee a lot. I promise you. If you're willing to take the next step into what we call small groups, you will get burned. Did he say what I just thought he said? Yes. You will get injured. You'll get hurt. Somebody will say something stupid. A leader will blow it. We won't get it right. Come on in. You know why? Because we're sheep, and sheep smell bad. We really do. Let me, let me, I'm going to test it out here on my, my fellow sheep, Clay. Very bad. And he smells just like me because I smell bad too. You see, if you've been burned, welcome to the planet. So many people say, oh, gosh, I, I can't, I just can't get in. You remember when Jesus was going to Lazarus' funeral and he said to his disciples in John eleven seven, let's go back to Judea. And they said, but Rabbi, we've been burned there. A short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there? I mean, somebody who knows you well, maybe you're getting back in the church? Then they burn you? You're going to get in closer to people. You're going to move from big circle like this. See, this is a safe circle. You just got a guy up here screaming with weird sound of music clips. This is easy, right? This is fun. To move into the next circle is tough 
And if you've been burned, I've had so many people like, dude, I can't get close to people anymore. I'm like, well, God is not finished with you yet. Are you enslaved to previous bad experiences? You see, so many times you call out to people, and, and it, is, it just feels so much like this movie. And let's pick a name, Bill. So you say, Bill, you know, come on, man. I, 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 you got you to gotta move because when I'm talking to people, I'm like, oh, man, you got to move out of this circle. Someone right after the first service said, oh, what do I do next? People ask me that when they first come to 360. What do you do next? I'm like, oh, get involved relationally. See, they're expecting me to say, well, you can pass out bulletins at the front door. We need a Sunday school teacher. We need this. No, that's doing. I'm asking you to get involved relationally. And so what happens is Bill comes to me and I say, okay, Bill, here it is. And I'm calling out, Bill, it's your time, man. Bill, where are you? And he's not there. You know, yeah, so it's kind of weird. I hear this music. Do you hear this in your head? I, I may be off, but I'm like, come on, Bill, please, Bill, come on, come on. You can do it. Come on. And then unfortunately... What you hear from the corner of the room, Bill's not there. Here's what you hear. They're gone. It's kind of wacky, isn't it? <laughs> I hear things. Sometimes we're enslaved to sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 16 says, Don't you know that when you offered yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, you know you can be a slave to sin. We're all sinners. We all blow it. But there's times that we get into a sin groove. And because of that, we become like Adam, and we hide, and we say we're unavailable. I think, okay, the next two, it gets, or next three get a little tough. We're enslaved to fear sometimes. Watch this, Romans 8. Verse 15, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Watch. Some people being here today, coming to church, you're like, dude, that was, this is a big step for me. I mean, just walking in this weird warehouse with a church with a weird name like 360 with a green banner hanging up there on front, you know, and a guy showing clips from The Sound of Music, you know, 60s movies and blah. You know, it's a big deal for some people to come here. You know, for those of you who are familiar, don't forget, it's tough for a person to walk inside a new environment. For some of you, when I say, man, it's time to move to the next layer of relationship, get in a small group, there's something in you that says, freak out, freak out, freak out, can't do it, can't do it. I get it. I love the big circle. It's fun. It's energetic. It's worship. It's all those things. And I understand that stepping into the next level of relationship is tough, but God calls us to do it. Would you be obedient? Then you would say, great, I'm in an act group. I'm in a small group. Okay, guess what? God's calling you to one-off, to be small circle. And a lot of you are like, wow, big freak out. It's exactly what God calls you to do. And here's, here's the deal. When you feel, ah, oh, freak out, God's saying, oh, you're in the right place. Because if you're like, I got this thing down. I got the Christian faith down. I know all the Bible. I know the books of the Bible. I can say them forwards and backwards. I know I got her down. feeling really comfortable about it. God's like, I'm going to wake you up. <laughs> like, I'm going to scare you. I got to put you in a place where the heartbeat is a little higher because that's where the excitement is. The last two get a little rough. Heads up. 
maybe one of the greatest challenges that we have as Christians is that we love to do good things. Now, that sounds strange. You should do good things. But we hide behind doing good things. You see, getting close to another person, that's hard. That's why we don't do it. There's a lot of friendly people in church. There may not be great friends. There's a big difference. And so we're, giving, we're going out, we're giving out water bottles, and we're you know, doing this. We did it for years, and we're helping, and, or we're leading a Bible study, or we're leading a worship thing, and then we're doing all this. And I come back to the question. I would slide a piece of 8.5 by 11 across the table and say, right on there, since you're doing all these wonderful things out here all around the community, right on that sheet of paper, what you're doing in your own family your church family, your local church. And if you slide it back to me empty, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write on there, God is not finished and slide it back. I know it's tough. We become enslaved to doing because it feels good and we never have to get too close. Some people say, well, I've got great friends all over the city. Wonderful, so do I. Who's your close friend within your, the body of Christ right here? that you can dig deep with, can hold you accountable, you can walk with. And I know some of you are on that journey working towards that. But we cannot be enslaved to the outside when we're not even connected on the inside. I know it's a tough message. But it is time for the church to say, come on, we're doing all this nice stuff and we're shallow on the inside. And God would say, that's not the picture of what I had for my body. For my church. Finally, this list, I would say this. Oh boy, here it goes. It's going to get tough. I'll say it softly. Just kidding. Jesus addressed something. One guy said, First, let me go bury my father. Another guy said, I got to go say bye to my family. Family is important. It is not first. My wife, I treasure. We're, we're soulmates. We really are. Our marriage is incredible. She's not Christ. I literally would throw myself in front of a moving car to save my boys. And so many of you would too. Well, you wouldn't say my boys, you'd save yours. <laughs> They're not first. It is so difficult. We're supposed to be good family, good husband, good wife, good mother, good father, good son, all that. And God says, look, I, I got to tell you something. If you're unavailable because of swim meets and gymnastics and horseback riding and blah, 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 and you're doing nothing, it's backwards. It's backwards. you got to put me first. I respect so much spouses whose, father or whose spouse or husband or wife have decided to not follow Christ or have, are just doing it apathetically. They say, oh, you know what? I'm moving ahead. I'm not 
going to lose my passion for Christ. I love that. I mean, I don't love that they're in that scenario. I love the passion that they're like, I'm not going to step out of the game because of you. See, my wife and I, we've been on the track for a long, long time, and there are times where we're like, dude, you got your car parked. I got I to gotta keep moving, and it happens to both of us. And, then that, and when they're like, whoa, I got to get in the See, it's inspiring. But God forbid that I'm like, I can't do anything within my local church because my wife doesn't want me to. Or my husband doesn't want me to. Because God would say, I am first. Don't forget it. Watch. Paul says this. He's speaking to single people. Very complicated conversation, but he says this. He says, to you singles, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Now, careful. If you're married, you're locked in love, baby. This is not, this is not an excuse. Like, see, well, I guess I can serve the Lord if I... No, please. Because Paul says, hey, many of you are going to get married, and that's cool. But I'm just saying to you that if you're not married, hey, it's not a detriment. You're, it's actually you can serve God. And then he says to the women, an unmarried woman... Our virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying to this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, his cousins, his nephews, his uncles, his aunts, his second cousins, all that, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's not saying, some of you are like, I I saw you just pass a note, I hate you. That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) In other words, unless you set it to the side where God is first, he's saying everybody, husband, wife, children, grandparents, grandchildren, all that, I'm asking you. And then Paul clears it up. Watch this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He, here, here's, he concludes. He says, here's what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Easy for some of you. But you got to put it in the right context. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. I know some Christians like that. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them for this world in its present form is passing away. You see, when we stand before Christ... I will stand there and I will not be holding my wife's hand. I alone will be before Christ. And if I utter the words, well, see, my wife didn't, there's a buzzer. I I know Jesus got a buzzer. (laughs) Well, see, my kids, they loved horseback. Really? We can become enslaved 
to our finances. Where we're like, ah, I can't get away, dude. I, I, I'm occupied. I, I have no time. I'm working so much. To our fears, to our previous experiences. We can become enslaved to things that we would think are good, like family, to, or to doing good things. And God reminds us, don't use the word first with any of those things. Don't. I am first. And I believe that it's first fruits giving. I believe it's first fruits living in a community of faith. If you've got time to do other stuff, great, do it. But for the sake of Christ, dig down deep. Maybe some of these things on the list will strike you as like, well, I, I think I've elevated my family, or dude, I'm locked into fear, or I've had a bad experience, whatever they might be. Would you lean into God and saying, I'm listening? Let me tell you why. Last week, I talked to you about the frustrations of building Ikea furniture. <laughs> now, don't you hate it when you're doing one of those build-it-yourself kits with, a, with like a dresser with a million parts? And if you're like me, you're into it about five or six hours, and you get down, and you're missing a part. It's the worst. I mean, there's some options the manufacturer left it out, mistake. You put it in the wrong place somewhere on step three, and you're in step 28. Your child is using it as a fake cigar in the other room, something. <laughs> and you would look at it and you think, well, it's only a piece of, it's a little dowel, it's only a little piece of wood, it's only a screw, it's a little piece of metal. But you can't move forward, and even though it looks invaluable to the, to the naked eye, to the operation, it's invaluable. So many people think, I'm unavailable, but it's just little old me. If you weren't valuable, you'd be dead. God has a, such a deep value for you. And you say, I'm unavailable. God said, oh no, you're a working part of the body of Christ. I need you. You're a screw. I mean, you know what I mean. You're a knob. You're a dowel. You're a piece of wood. You're, you're valuable. What's happening in this church is exciting because people that would have deemed themselves or, or not valuable, have become very valuable. Oh, not the superstars that you might think. Someone in an act group who quietly leans over and says, you want to go to coffee this week? And life transformation begins to take a little root. Relationships. And then they begin to share and they begin to live life together and they begin to study together. And what happens within a local church that strategizes to do that, because we have a plan to do that, is that life begins to become exciting. And you see changing of lives. And then God would say, that's the picture right there. That's what the world will look on and say, wow, that's different. I could use some of that. See, the world around us, whether they know it or not, whether they live in Czech Republic 
or they live in Sarasota. They're thirsty. When you start talking to people, we had a funeral in here, memorial service Friday, packed out, packed out. This was a husband, loved Christ, 53 years old, avid fisherman, champion fisherman. The number of tough guys, I mean, they, they, these, these guys were fishermen, they were salt-of-the-earth guys. The number of guys that came up and stood where I'm standing right now and wept at this man, I didn't know him, I know his wife, quiet, who quietly impacted. Anybody looking at him like, oh, it's just a piece of wood. Oh, no. These guys said, he changed my life. Every time I'd go fishing with him, we were using the same rod and reel, same lures, same hooks. I don't even know fishing well enough. Same everything, same net, same boat. Same location, he's fishing off one end of the boat, I'm fishing off the other. This guy's reeling in bass like nobody's business. I'm sitting there the whole day. And every time he pulled one in, he would say, thank you, Lord. And these guys are like, thank you, Lord. You know, he's like, thank you, Lord. The whole day, you know, this guy, his name is Jeff, he's saying, thank you, Lord. And, it, and man after man after man said, I'm here today because Jeff told me about Christ, this quiet man. People are parched for God. People are parched for real friendship. People are dying. I, I leave you with this story from, from King David. You remember, called to be king, but he had to fight his way to it. And he's holed up in this place of slavery. He's in a cave. He can't move one way or the other. And what happens in war when you study it is people try to start cutting off your supplies because if you can't eat or drink, they got you. And I look at David, I'm like, he represents so many people that you rub shoulders with, yea, that you're even sitting maybe in the same aisle with right now. You may think, I'm not, I'm not available because I'm not really important. No, you're tremendously important, and I'm calling you, challenging you to be available because you're important because maybe somebody sitting on your aisle is parched for the real thing. So David is holed up in this cave. And what happens, we see in 2 Samuel 23, during harvest time. See, during harvest time, the streams were low, everything was dried up, a thirsty time. Three of the chief, 30 chief men came down. These guys were the top three soldiers. Don't miss the words came down. They said, we're available. We're here. Whatever you need, we're here. They came to, the, to David at the cave of Adullam. While a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephraim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. He was enslaved, had no mobility. David was parched and he longed for water. And he said, oh, that someone would give me a drink from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So watch. 
So these three mighty men who made themselves available, they broke through the Philistine lines and drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. You see, here it is. There's somebody that's thirsty in this room. Don't be unavailable. It happens, the jazz happens right here. 300 people could change the world and what the Christian culture looks like. But number one, you gotta come down. Whatever your territory of safeness and comfortability or fear or finances or family or excuses or bad previous experiences or doing all things all over the city, you gotta say, I'm leaving that land and I'm coming down into the community of faith I'm going to step out of a big circle. I'm going to take the courage to step into a mid-circle. I'm in a mid-circle. I'm going to take the courage to take it to the next level. It's all about moving deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you'll have to break through enemy lines. And I promise you, God has got water for you to carry. You are valuable. I'm a screw. I'm a knob. I'm a dowel. I'm a this. No, you're not. You're a water carrier. And there are people who are parched. Are you available? Are you available? Father, thank you for this time. Our lives are so chaotic at times, God speaking to so many Christians. We have so many reasons for unavailability. And in this day and age, God, the realness that's going to permeate from your church is going to come through relationships. Not our vast knowledge, not our sharp worship services, not our bright and beautiful buildings, not our style, but the thing that people are absolutely parched for. Authentic relationships, people that care. And if we haven't learned to care within our own local church, God, really, what are we doing out there? What business do we have? We often use busyness and time as excuses, but they have roots of reasons. God, I pray for your church. May they have the courage to lean in and whisper to you, I'm listening. I'm listening. Are there things, God, that enslave us? We, we would not want to use that word. It seems too harsh. But, but literally occupy us to the point that we cannot move. Are we afraid? Are we financially enslaved? Have we elevated family above the throne 
of our creator? Have we listened to our spouse more than we listen to you? Have we bowed down to our children more than we've bowed down to you? Have we been burned and therefore we've stopped? Are we hiding God behind our doing, so afraid of being? God, I pray that your church will see every person sitting here, will see their incredible value and that you've called them to be available in your church to be a life-changing agent for you. That's what I pray, God. So, Lord, we're here to be modified. We're here to change, to be chiseled. And we pray as we began with these simple words, have your own way, God. Have your way. For Jesus, amen.